Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the United States, brought to you by Insurance Business. Welcome to the latest episode of IB Talk. I'm Gia Snape, news editor at Insurance Business. Despite concern about how companies use their personal data, consumers are increasingly open to sharing data with insurers especially if that means they'll be able to get better, more personalized products. Accenture's newest global insurance consumer survey reveals this and more trends that are pointing to more opportunities in the industry to connect with customers. We're fortunate today to have Kenneth Soldana, global insurance lead at Accenture, to tell us more about what their survey found. Kenneth, thank you so much for joining us on IB Talk today. Pleasure to be here, Jia. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So, you know, what's the biggest takeaway from this year's Global Insurance Consumer Survey? Did, did anything surprise you from the findings? Gee, I would say that what we see is the strongest message is a good news, bad news message for the industry in terms in, the, in that the, the sense of uncertainty and risk and the need for protection is a very, very strongly felt need across the consumers we survey. And to some degree, that's not surprising as we just look around at, you know, any day's headlines. But this, the strong sense of uncertainty and desire for protection is a very clear message, which is, on the one hand, good news for insurers. The bad news for insurers is that the nature of that protection that consumers are seeking is not in the traditional products. They really want a very different kind of ongoing risk management and protection as opposed to a policy that will pay for things when and if they go wrong. So the good news, bad news around a, a strongly felt need for insurance and a need to have those products change in their very nature to provide that protection. I think the biggest surprise in that is uh, the pace at which that sentiment is growing and the get, and how that gap is continuing to grow. Right. We did see some of this even in our earlier survey versions, um, but the pace at which the those two numbers are moving up and moving apart is quite quite surprising. Right, and this was a massive survey as well. There were um, more than forty nine thousand consumers polled in thirty three different markets. You know, what were some of the most significant commonalities that you found among respondents across the geographies? Yeah, I think you know, the, the, what we found was that really th there was no question in which we found that you know one region went in a different direction from the other. Right? It was it was really, and we did as you said, we did the survey globally across you know all of our markets. We did it with a number of different age uh, demographics, and so we actually didn't see anywhere where literally you look at the you know you look at the data bar chart and it's one direction for one group and another you know for a second. So there is a general sense of strong commonality. I will say the degree to which the concerns or the excitement is expressed do vary. I would say it's very clear that health and the concern, the, the merging of how consumers view the need for protection, cutting across, not, you know, we make the distinctions of, well, that's property casualty and that's life and that's annuities and that's health insurance. It's very clear that consumers have no sense of what that means, nor do they want to have any sense of what that means, right? What we saw is certainly in our Asia Pacific, in our well, you know, the in the Eastern markets, 
was an incredibly high uh, interest around the convergence of health that continued to be high in Europe, and then it sort of dipped a little bit in North America. Some of that is also, of course, heavily influenced by the nature of where we see public versus private healthcare, right? And so the North America answer is dominated by the U.S. responses, which, of course, has a very different environment. So I think one of the key things we saw with slight variations in terms of intensity was that push towards, I want protection for me as a whole person. Um, that includes my health, my financial well-being, my property well-being, et cetera, right? The second thing that we saw very clearly, and as you mentioned in your opening, a willingness to share data for personalized and usage and behavior-based products. This is another very clear trend from consumers saying, I want to know, I'm, I'm fine to share data with you as long as then I see a product or a service offering that actually reflects me, my usage, my behavior. If you're going to give me the same product and price as, you know, even though I have a burglar alarm or I drive at different times or I don't drive that much at all and I don't see that variation in my product and pricing, it's underwhelming to consume, right? So that push towards usage and behavior-based products, personalized products based on data sharing, uh, I would say is, again, a high increase in the numbers and receptivity to it, and that was very consistent across all markets. Interesting. And and just going back to something you brought up, Kenneth, which was that there's a, a growing awareness of these coverage gaps for for individuals. So so which types of, of risks are leaving more customers more vulnerable and, and why? I don't know if there's any particular area, Jill, I would say that one is more vulnerable. I think, you know, I mentioned the the increase or the higher digital health concerns that we saw from the Asia-Pac region, right? That's very tied to the aging population demographics of that region. I think it's uh, three or four weeks ago, it was announced that, you know, at this point from the census data, one in 10 Japanese citizens is over 80 years old, right? There's a immediate correlation that we see then with why it is that that health and aging services are of so much higher interest in those markets because the demographics have gone that way. In Europe, and I'm, uh, you know, the, the last, the events of the last week certainly are only going to exacerbate this. But the sense of uncertainty from political and essentially conflict risk is much higher. Right? We we see a lot more concerns around uncertainty for life and property and stability of, of domicile. We see those very strongly in, in Europe, really reflective of what is what is happening in the political and social environment there as well. So we do see uh, reflective, again, more based on what's in the environment, uh, some heightening or diminishing of the focus. But again, not a completely different direction, right? Really more a more matter of degree than direction. Right. And the um the the geographic piece as well, there's so many factors that are that are influencing, you know, what consumers want, as as you as you mentioned. But you know, o- overall, if you know, insurance companies are are looking at this data, you know, what steps can they they do to really leverage the trends that you found here? So I think we would say, Jay, two things uh, which we put under the umbrella of really sort of reinventing or reimagining what the insurance offer is. 
I think the first one and, and absolutely the most important one is to move into this risk mitigation model, right? And so rather than offering indemnity-based products saying, if something goes wrong, I will pay for the following things, it really is this sense of consumers are telling us that they are concerned about their uncertainty all around them. So let's help you manage that. That could be as simple, and this is one that's dear to my heart, you have teenage drivers, let's offer you a product that allows some monitoring of your teenage drivers, right? And that would be a usage and behavior-based shift on the telematics auto, which actually would be a big change for consumers. And it would allow the industry to position itself, not as we pay for your claim if it happens. Instead, we move to a conversation that says, we know that at your particular life stage, you're concerned about your kids driving now. And so let us help you manage that risk and let us give you some sense of protection about what's happening there. So it's not just a telematics offer that says, well, I want, it, I want my premium to reflect, I think of myself as a better driver. And so I want a discount for my telematics offer, which has historically been a real concern, which is there's an adverse selection for insurers to say, Everybody wants telematics, but only if it gives them a discount, right? That's sort of a spiral downwards conversation that doesn't really go anywhere. But a response to the consumer survey that says the concern is about the risk that someone is feeling because of their particular life stage and who's driving the cars and what's happening. You know, very similar to what we see on the health side. Consumers have not made the distinction. So how do we actually start thinking about bringing forward an offering that actually provides an ongoing engagement on digital health. Every carrier out there is exploring, how do I move into digital engagement models? Everyone's got a health app on their phone. There's a million devices that you can add if you want to do something more than just your regular phone. There's an enormous amount of health and fitness and wellness data that's being spot out. And the insurers really haven't found to date, a way to effectively offer a mitigation or ongoing engagement offer that says, I'm going to be a partner to you on how you manage your health, not just at enrollment for group benefits or at a claim, but on an, on an everyday basis, right? So that, that shift towards saying, let's not just look for discounting based on perceived better risk by the consumer, but really look at what it is that they're concerned about, what are the things that are driving their sense of uncertainty, and then creating the, the interaction that says, we're now your ongoing partner on this, is probably, you know, in my mind, the single biggest and most important element that, that can come out of this consumer survey. But I will say it also is very grounded in what the industry is seeing in its economics, and that if you look at the insurance industry, it's not going away, but it is facing a lot of margin compression. It is becoming the source of underwriting capital in order to just provide kind of low return equities for the insurers because they're in a box of traditional products that are not viewed as part and parcel of the consumer's everyday life, right? So that first step of moving into an ongoing risk mitigation set of offers that are dis that are not just indemnification is definitely, in my mind, a very clear message from the survey. The second, I think, also very clear message from the survey is the 
all of the distinctions that we as an insurance industry have made into segments and policies and what's covered and what's not is deeply frustrating to the consumer. And this is one where it's been to cross our demographics. It's more frustrating for the for the younger population. In some ways, I guess the industry, we've, we've managed to beat down the expectations of the older generations to say, well, that's just how insurance works. By the way, it comes with a very negative, a very negative viewpoint of the industry because of that. But what I mean by that is, and I had this experience with my with my own son, who said, "Well, I don't understand why I, why my auto insurance doesn't pay for my ongoing oil and maintenance, because isn't that part of protecting my car?" Right. And when I was trying to explain why that was not true, I found myself falling back on, "Well, that's how the product is defined." Right. Well, it doesn't cover maintenance, even though your health insurance does cover wellness checks and it does cover annual annual medical checks. But guess what? Auto insurance doesn't. Right. These distinctions and these orthodoxies that we've put in place around this is what the product is and this is what it covers and this is what it doesn't cover. It's it, it's very clear that that's opaque and frustrating to consumers. So the more that we can actually move towards the flexibility of saying we actually provide an overarching sort of net of protection around the things you're concerned about. It does come with new product features. It does come with changes in how we think about actuarial reserving and how the capital allocation, how these products would change. I'm not for a second suggesting this is an easy, oh, just change the the experience. That's going to be great. This is a very fundamental shift that the insurance industry would have to make to move away from the existing orthodoxies of how we define products, coverage, endorsements, what's in, what's not, what's your policy term. Consumers are frustrated by all of it. Right? And and as we go down the age curve, that frustration climbs. And so I think those two things, the ability to say, how do I actually look at your life experience and become a risk mitigation partner for you at places that matter? And how do I not frustrate you by having by telling you how my product and segment orthodoxies work would be two very fundamental, very difficult to do changes that I think the industry has to make in order to stay relevant and frankly, from an economic point of view, to stay viable. Right. And there's certainly no group of individuals that are more familiar about this frustration from consumers than the the distribution channels. So, you know, brokers and agents, you know, when they're looking at these these trends, does, does it impact them in any way in, in the way they they can relate and bit better engage their clients on behalf of the insurers? I think it certainly does, right? Because, you know, the vast majority of insurance is still driven through agents and brokers. It remains a heavily intermediated industry. You know, the direct-to-consumer insurance is still below 20% of penetration, right? Now, not only is the consumer expressing, you know, their frustration, they want something, uh, they want something different in their experience. You've got things like embedded insurance beginning to emerge, where auto insurers are saying, "Well, we'll just put the insurance on the car." Right? You've seen that with Tesla. You've seen that not just, by the way, not just in partnerships, right? Because there certainly have been partnerships for a very long time with, you know, Volkswagen, with BMW, with Benz, Mercedes have all offered insurance through partnerships, this is now truly simply saying you don't even see the insurance as a separate purchase. It's embedded in your auto insurance purchase. 
we do see that embedded trend that's going to continue. Now, as an agent or a broker, all of that, maybe slowly, but it chips away at what is the role that you play in in this entire insurance value chain. I do think the consumers expressed frustration and confusion about the industry may continues to provide a very substantial and important role for that intermediary in the conversation. However, I think, you know, what it means for brokers also is that they are the place where, particularly on the personal line side, they are their most important thing that they can do is help navigate for the consumer, right? So it's not pushing the product as it exists today, but really looking towards what is it that the that the consumer is concerned about and what is the breadth of services and products that they could actually be using to, again, address their uncertainty and sense of risk, right? I think right now, just as much as the industry and the carriers have defined orthodoxies or product segments and, and what product is relevant for what cover, agents are a little bit constrained by that to say, well, then the best they can do is offer up specific products in a very traditional sense. So as much as the industry moves towards understanding what is the overarching safety net you're looking for, I think for agents and brokers, making that visible and understandable to consumers continues to be a very important part of the of the process. And most likely, if we start to move towards these risk mitigation offers, if we start to blur the lines between what's this product, endorsements and comes, et cetera, the agents and brokers play an increasingly important role in truly navigating what is now a lot more flexible product and service offering. Right? So I do think the ability to actually provide a broader sense of protection while blurring the lines of what is today offered as the insurance product is actually a very big part of how we would make the adoption curve deeper, right? In terms of how fast can we move consumers through that by really engaging the brokers and the agents in helping make that change visible and understandable to consumers. Definitely. That's uh, lots of food for thought today. Thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today, Kenneth. I really appreciate having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for including us. And that wraps up this episode of IB Talk. Thanks for being with us. I'm Gia Snape, News Editor of Insurance Business. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to IB Talk. You can listen to the latest episodes on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and all major listening channels. Just search for IB Talk. Thank you.